This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Gordon, three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and we are joined by the South Alabama legend himself, the man who puts Walter on deer, the man that all deer fear from at the the south of Alabama to the, to the east side of Missouri, uh, there there is no deer that is safe in that area unless it's a doe, in which case he will pass fourteen of them on opening day for some reason. Yep. <laughs> if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we have one simple goal here, and that's to bring you exciting outdoor content that motivates you to try something, to go a little harder, just to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. And uh, we do that in a couple different formats. Uh, this is obviously an audio format. This is a podcast that we drop uh, with intention every week. And uh, we, we we also have a YouTube channel that is growing, and uh, I've got four videos in the hopper that I'm putting the final touches on that will all go live. Chase will have his first buck kill of 2022, 2023. I will have my first doe kill. We've got a couple of videos from a longtime uh, contributor of the show, Bo Lease. Uh, Brett is going to be filming when he goes to Missouri. Um, we, we got a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipe and I hope you guys are excited as, as excited for that as we are. Um, if you, if you're new to the show, the show is brought to you by a couple different types of, of, of people. And first and foremost, that's our Patreon member, group if you are uh, looking to find deer camp to find that that deer camp mentality that deer camp spirit where you have friends that are egging you on helping you uh, inviting you to go on hunts you know helping you with whatever it is that you need uh, then you want to check out patreon it is a crowdfunding source uh, for I think it's like 30 cents a day you can support the podcast and uh, that money goes into the production costs it goes into camera gear it goes into fuel costs um, out-of-state licenses stuff that goes towards 
doing more of the, the, the different things we've been talking about. And uh, so I just want to say thanks to all the Patreon members that we have there. Uh, we have a giveaway coming up November 1st. We are going to draw a winner of a Cabela's Ultimate Meat Packaging uh, package. That is a terrible way of saying that. It includes a... Um, vacuum sealer, a really nice grinder, grinding attachments, all of that so that you can grind up the deer. And we picked that prize this year because we've been on a tear. We are up to 31 uh, game kills, big game kills in the Patreon group already. And so uh, the, the the processing bills get expensive. And so one of the ways we say thank you is we do a couple giveaways every year. Uh, and this giveaway is going to be that whole kit. So um, really excited about that and looking forward to drawing a winner on the first. So uh, there's still time by the time you hear this podcast probably uh, to jump on that and take advantage of that. But we also have to thank some of the corporate partners that we have. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Spartan Forge has been a longtime supporter of us since the beginning of them going live. They have been providing an awesome mapping software that the three of us use, uh, a deer movement prediction software that the three of us always are referencing and helping us with decision making. Um, Brett says that his biggest deer uh, that he's ever shot actually came because of Spartan Forge. Isn't that right? No. <laughs> in all seriousness uh it, it is an awesome predictor tool it is not a uh, golden you know a golden parachute here it's not gonna bring you to the deer but it's a great point of reference they have just launched their desktop version and some of the features on that thing we're gonna have bill to come on and explain is just out of this world awesome so check them out use the promo code chasing tales t-a-l-e-s to save 25 percent on your membership and lock in your price for life. And the other company I want to talk about quickly is Tethered. Um, we've talked on this show a lot about how saddles have changed our game. And uh, the very first year, Chase was able to get into a tree that you couldn't even get a platform into, and he used the branches of the tree to kill a deer. Or, well, just to hunt. I don't think you actually killed a deer that sit, but you wouldn't have been able to get into that tree otherwise. No, I killed it. You did? That, that's mm -hmm. why I got that right? Okay. I got self-conscious there for a second. I was like, oh, I'm, tell I'm telling a lie. Um, this past weekend, I killed my first bow buck since 2015, and uh, I did that by being able to constantly pivot up in the saddle to find a narrow little pocket to slip an arrow through and kill a deer. So if you're looking for some of the best lightweight technical saddle uh, system, go check them out, tethernation.com, Greg, Ernie, Taylor, uh, Adrian, Big A, uh, great folks, Val, they are just awesome people. We love doing business with them, um, and... Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I got I got the business part out of the way. Let's talk hunting, man, because this past weekend we shared deer camp. I, admittedly, I shared deer, deer camp very briefly. Uh, my son was sick and I had to come home. And fortunately, the very first morning, I broke the curse. I've never killed anything on opening day. And I killed a buck with a bow on opening day. And I did that largely in part to the mentorship of you and Brett. You two have made me into a better deer hunter. So, you know, inner, inner sob soap opera music there um but uh brett has really been investing in me heavily in the local area because of because of proximity he and i can scout some of these areas and we kind of touched about this a little bit on the on the last podcast that we did in deer camp but i really wanted to break this down because i feel like there's some really really good information to be had surrounding the topic of scouting both preseason, postseason, but also in season scouting and so um, this is going to be one of those where I do very little talking, hopefully, and you guys do the bulk of the talking, and everybody comes away very, very enlightened. So um, with that, Brett, why don't you 
quickly kind of break down the area that you and I scouted a year and a half ago, um, why it drew your attention and why you feel like the preseason and then postseason scouting that you and I both did in that area kind of was important. Well, first of all, the first reason I picked it out because it it had something that uh, that I particularly like that I'm used to back home in Alabama, which is it has pine surrounding it and it has private property surrounding it. And then it's, there's also water, which adds another element. It's limited access to that area. Mm-hmm. Um to actual walk in there is a pretty decent walk, but there's also tough and tricky ways to get in there to walk. And I don't think many people are walking quite in the spot that we found in that you uh, shot your buck in. And, uh, and that's mainly the reason I picked it out just from e-scouting and then we went in there, but what was the other part? What 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 did you find when we went in there pre and post season? Why did that why did that scouting matter? Oh, it mattered because we have never laid foot on this property. Um, if you've never laid foot on a property, I mean, post season is my favorite. Um, if I had to choose one, I would choose it. But uh, summer scouting on a piece of property, you know nothing about can do wonders first of all you're learning the terrain you're learning the property you're going in find you know just identifying finding the places you know like when we got back in there we found a type of habitat beside the water that was real um conclusive for bucks and other deer to use and then along with there was white oaks in the area we end up finding old rubs, big tracks, some nice trails back in there. And it was just real secluded. It had a, uh, basically it had a hard back wall with the water. And the way it all laid out, uh, just set up perfect for um, not many people to really get back in there. And we wouldn't have known that had we not walked it. Because there was a lot of area that was... Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily native terrain, but it's terrain you probably won't be hunting. And being able to walk out there and look at the map and identify that, then you can also add that to other places. And just we got the whole scope of the area, summertime scouting, put cameras out. Uh, I don't remember when we pulled them, but when we pulled them, we noticed a lot of um, early October um buck patterns in there all in the daylight some does and we turned around and was able to use last year's data off that camera and the summer scouting we found in there uh to know that during october this year we needed to go in there to hunt it because it had i think walter come up with you said there was like 15 different days in the month of October. There was a uh, bucks daylighting in that area. Yeah, 15. They 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 daylighted on that camera, meaning different instances, morning or evening. They triggered that camera 15 times. They daylighted between October, I think it was October 14th and 28th. So it was a very narrow window that they were just daylighting over and over again. 
and basically just use that history for the following year. You know, I think we may have went in there and hunted it twice all together, and we both run into deer back in there. Mm-hmm. And it gave us an idea of what they were doing. Unfortunately, we wasn't able to go in there postseason scouted that year, which would have paid dividends because then we could have we could have got and found the trails the deer were using during the time you can hunt them, which is important because you could turn around and use that just like we did the trail cam data for the following year. So I mean, it's it's more of a long term strategy than a um than like a out of state trip or something you're just going on a maybe even a quota hunt that you may not get every time you know it's more of a piece of property that you may be able to hunt um any deer season that you can apply that to but it's a long-term game uh that we're talking about there with being able to post season and summer scout then you can you're basically building on it every year you're learning the deer in the area, the does in the area, identifying when they drop their phones. And you're learning so much about the deer, the terrain, how they use it. And once you understand all that, you can more or less predict uh, the best times to be in there and have really high odd uh, hunts. My takeaway from it. I think, I think when I'm looking at the area um, while we talk about it, just because this area is rather unique in a lot of ways. And it always surprises me that, that, that it stuck out to you because it didn't stick out to me initially. And then the more I look at it, the more I feel like a total nincompoop for not seeing it before now, before when you pointed it out. But what do you think the importance is of that continuous trying to better your understanding? Because with you, I see a tenacity in the off season that Chase doesn't necessarily have. And that, and that's, that's not like a slight on Chase. It, I, I, I tend to be kind of sarcastic with the way that I approach things and I, and I make a lot of jokes, but Chase is in a different phase in the, in the areas that he's in and that he haunts, I should say. And so you have this, uh, this tenacity in the off season to continue to break down these areas. Why is that? And what's the importance of it? The reason why that is for one, I want to be the best I can, whatever it takes. And I just feel like you become a better woodsman. You understand the area. You understand the deer better. And to Chase's point, he did a lot of this stuff early on. And now he don't have to do as much because he did so many years of it. And there may be a little bit difference in the uh, style of hunting, which is nothing wrong. That's what I love about hunting because – Yep. It's not one style fits all. It's a, uh, my style might fit your personality and maybe Walt or Chase or somebody else might fit yours. You just kind of have to uh, go with what you think you would like and uh, apply it. But I want to learn everything I can about them. And I'm also always on the lookout with doing all this off season stuff for the next best spot. I want to build upon on my public land, uh, when I say great spots, spots I feel like I can kill mature bucks in every year. So just say the first year I probably got one. And every year since then, I've added one more spot I feel like I can kill big bucks. I've had encounters. I had opportunities. I may not have got it, gotten it done. And so you just – say you build three and then four and then five. And then next thing you know, 
you got options to where you're not blowing out certain spots. Once you understand the deer in that area, there could be different cycles for them does. It could be like this week, I know this doe comes in the heat from years past on my trail camera. These does are, are, uh, are the bucks are moving into this area for just say a four to five day period. I notice over here, maybe on the other side, the WMA or National Forest or whatever, that these these does are like two weeks behind or two weeks uh, uh, prior, and you use that, and you can basically chase hot does through the season. And in some places where you have these crazy, um, I guess, deer management where there's way more does than bucks, you have does that don't get bred and they come back into heat and uh, just the bucks can't breed all the deer and um, you can go in these areas and use your past like trail camera uh, data and you can pick high odd hunts you understand how to, and from postseason and summer scouting postseason is number one number one and then after that if you don't know an area, summer season scouting is awesome and end season scouting is super important. So when you post season scout, you're learning the trails and the bedding areas is what I like to do. You're understanding how they use it. So come into season when you see deer doing stuff, I'm like, okay, I know what that deer is doing because I've been all through this place and I've got all these trails mapped out. I understand what they're doing. I understand that there's feed trees off in the thicket in the bedding area. I understand where the transition lines are and what feed is where and in season scouting, sometimes running through those places and finding out which trees are hot on which year can really narrow down the search of a getting on deer period, especially early season. But I just want to understand everything about them to just, just better myself and find the next best spot is I want to find another great spot every single year to build upon uh, my knowledge of the area of the deer and places hopefully I can tag out on three mature bucks here where I can get down to Florida and hunt or maybe I want to go back to Georgia with you or go back out to the Midwest a second time or you know whatever the case may be and just be more efficient and have super high hunts and just having a great understanding of what the deer are doing. Chase, do you want to kind of talk about that? I, I, I can't stress the importance of, I wasn't throwing any shade your way, but like in the summertime, in the spring, it doesn't feel like you're out there uh, really grinding to really break these areas down, but that's because you've already done that. And so you, you've put that time in. Do you want to kind of talk about how, I guess, floor is yours if you wanted to add comment to that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I talk a lot, I kind of talk, uh, I wouldn't say bad about summer scouting, but it's once you've spent like, I don't know, five, 10 years of some hardcore summer scouting, post season scouting an area, kind of like Brett saying, like learning the area and being able to uh, find other areas after that. So where I'm currently at, like where y'all are talking, I'm not really close to this particular management area. So it's not like I can just get in the truck sure. and I'm there in 30 minutes or an, even an hour or more. 
Um, so it's more difficult for me to kind of break away uh, on that distance. Um, but I, I agree. Um, summer scouting uh, will, will help you out, um, especially if you don't know the property. Um, I think the more you can familiarize yourself with that property, uh, I mean, it's going to help you on your, your walk into the stand, your walk out to the, to, or to wherever you're setting up at. Mm-hmm. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Does that area that you guys are talking about, does it still kind of look like it did during the summer? Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not much change in it right now than it was in the summer. <laughs> right. So you, I mean, you're, you're kind of helping yourself out with that. I mean, Florida is a different animal because like a lot of the areas I hunt, it doesn't look much different now than it does uh, during the summer, at least right, right now. It, it will later on uh, in the season definitely probably looks a little bit different when they're uh, the rut is up where y'all are at. But I, I mean, I really love in season scouting because of where I'm at right now. And in-season scouting doesn't necessarily have to be for that year. So you can also be in-season scouting because a lot of people think, oh, you're behind, like that rub's already been made or whatnot. And you're you're not necessarily behind. You're just gathering intel either possibly for this season or next season. Okay, there's a historical rub line right here. Um, I see, I seen it this year. I seen it last year. I'm probably they're probably going to be rubbing in the same area uh, next year, and I can go look. Oh, these rubs are all fresh, or they probably happen within the last week. Okay, let me jot that down. Uh, I need to come in about this time because this buck, there's bucks in this area at this time. So I wouldn't say that in-season scouting has to be for the season that you're currently in. It can be for the next season or, or whatever. You can mark them historical scrapes that you're finding, historical rubs, all that stuff uh, to help you out uh, the next year. Just like Brett's talking about monitoring the, the fawns during the summer whenever they're dropping. I mean, all of it is just putting pieces of the puzzle together to, to make you more successful. Uh, the more work you put into it, the more successful you're going to be uh, on a regular basis, not necessarily, oh, I got lucky uh, on this hunt, but uh, you, you create your own luck when it comes to, to hunting. I, I really believe that. And putting in the hard work uh, like Brett does, I mean, it, it definitely pays off. And it's even helping pay off for you because it's getting you out there more. It's motivating you more to be out in the woods. And it's Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. 
If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Going, oh my goodness, how come I didn't recognize this? But it doesn't really matter. He's helping you now. So now you can yep. pretty much go on that WMA by yourself and find stuff that looks similar to what you're, you're hunting now uh, and be able to get more intel yourself. So any, any scouting is good scouting, in my opinion. If you can get out in the woods and, and scout, no matter what time of the year it is, uh, you, you're gathering information that's that's going to help you at some point uh, during the hunting season. Yeah, oh, Chase, absolutely. Bring, Go ahead, Chase brings up a good point. Uh, the in-season scouting, um, I really haven't thought about it that way, but I think I have used it that way of seeing something, applying it to the next year. Like there's a particular spot that I see a rub every single year. And it's usually by a certain time that rub is there. And it is a big rub, like a like a uh, signpost rub. Like, it means something, you know. And I've noticed that in season, and it's always too late. Well, this year, I took that, and I went in there um, a while back, and I hung a camera so I can see when that's getting made and how often it's getting made and what the deer are doing that for and just to try to learn more. That's something I've seen in season that I thought about and now I'm trying to figure out exactly why that's there and if they're using that area right in there more than what I think they are. So, I mean, that's a great point. And I feel like you can use postseason scouting the same way, though, is like all the leaves are off. You can see great. The trails are hammered in the ground. Uh, they stick out like a sore thumb. You can easily maneuver through the woods, like especially up here, because um, it gets a little colder, obviously. But you can like map all this stuff out, see really good. You can find sheds. You can uh, go to new areas and pick them apart why it's easier and find sheds and be like, hey, there's a big buck in this area. I probably want to pay some attention to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to pay more attention to it. And so I like doing that. I like finding sheds. I like, uh, always just being on the lookout for the next best spot but you can turn that around and use that for the next year as well and a lot of times it may be a rut sign or something and if you have a great understanding of that piece of land you know when the rut is so you know kind of when to apply that so like when I'm waiting on my great spots that I tell you I find every year while I'm waiting on that magical week or two to come up I'm constantly hunting places that I postseason scouted and the, the new area is trying to figure them out while I'm waiting on them to get ready. So it gives me something to occupy me where I don't feel like I need to go to another piece of public and try to figure it out. Cause I'm steadily trying to figure out like different pieces of this public. And the thing is with that, you talk about like a 40 to 50,000 acre piece of public, it gives you the room to move around and do stuff like that. It makes it easier. Um, then if you were, uh, on a smaller piece or something like that. You know, I think, I think it's once you see the blueprint, right? Like once you start to see the pattern manifest itself, it's one of those things where 
I have worked really hard in the deer woods before. Many years I've put a real tremendous effort into it. But, you know, movement isn't always progress, right? You're not necessarily making those strides sometimes. And I think one of the benefits, and I urge people to find somebody who really knows what they're doing, which is hard, and try and butter up, butter them up and, and convince them to take you out and teach you some things, even if that means, uh, you know, really going out of your way to, to, to be around them. Um, because when Brett talks about areas, it did two things. One, I learned a lot. I'm, I'm man enough to admit that I didn't understand how big bucks moved, but it also confirmed that I also knew a lot as well. Like it, I would hear Brett talk about things and it was like, okay, obviously I benefit from having a podcast. I'm not diminishing that, but it was one of those things where it was like, I feel like I know this. And Brett would go to these areas and say, this is why this is a good spot. And it'd be like, okay, check. I was right there. And then he goes, but also consider this and this and this. And it's like, oh man, okay, there's the puzzle pieces. And I think one of the things that's hardest for me, um, and and this is going to be something I just have to kind of overcome somehow. And I don't know what it's going to look like. In fact, we were talking about this earlier is the, the, the prime time for scouting is Turkey season. The two things go right in conflict with each other. And so I'm going to have to find a way to carve out time on that front end of turkey season. Um, and right before turkey season, I should say, and be out there scouting for deer. Because I think when we look at the summer scouting, the in-season scouting, the trail camera data, we have we have like three parts of the puzzle. And all we're missing is that postseason. Let's get in there and find those trails. Let's get in there and find those pathways. Uh, let's hang some cameras and see what's what's using this area year round. Um, I think one of the funniest things for me was we caught a lot of hate, and I don't mean it in like a bit like a like a true hateful way. But there was a lot of people who cast um, doubt on if what you and I had been doing in the summertime was going to pay off. Or that, you know, if there was comment. Strategy, if my strategy worked. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, uh, if you find them there in the summertime, they won't be there come September. Well, even if you find them in September, as soon as the deer get there, you know, the pressure. It was just there was constant, like, there was this weird reluctance to admit that you could do something in the summertime that would benefit you in the fall. And I don't know where that came from, but it's been interesting to find that the areas that you pick out, and I'll be very clear here, he's not like, look at these hundred areas. Brett Brett has looked at a map and gone here, 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 done. These are the areas we're going to pick out and go look at. And every time we walk into one of those areas, there the the thing that he predicted is is there. Um, and so I encourage you. I think Chase said it on the last podcast. The best time to be scouting is the time you have to scout. You know, whatever that is, whether that's in season or out of season, whatever it is, that's the time you need to be scouting. And I think that a lot of hunters don't do a very good job of finding the time to scout. It's hard, whether it's other things like turkey season or if it's I only get three weeks a year to hunt and it's really hard for me to spend any period of that time scouting. I think they're doing themselves a disservice. What do y'all think? Well, one thing I want to say with the areas that y'all are scouting and I kind of talked to, with you over the phone about this is you find an area that has food, water, and cover. 
why does it matter if it's in the summer or the, why does it matter when they're there? They're, why would they leave? Mm-hmm. Why would a deer and does? So you got food, water, cover, and does in the same area. Why would they leave? Right. So if you can find areas like that during the summer that translate to the same thing in the fall, that, that buck doesn't have a reason to leave. I think the number one mistake there is, is most people want to go to where the pretty woods are, mm-hmm. where they can see a long ways, uh, where they see deer, you know, out and about, maybe more open places, and they're right. Them deer will disappear because they're not pressured. But as soon as that pressure, they will completely change. But what we're talking about doing is finding those areas that are tucked away, that's the security cover that they're going to seek out when pressure hits. I'm looking for that during the summer. I know they'll be out in the open during the summer, but I am predicting them to be pushed in there. And like Chase said, when you find that magical spot that has everything they need, you will find in the summer that they're already in there at that point. And they stay there year round unless they just get hammered and pushed out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the coolest thing that we've seen, um, I'm trying to decide if I want to take this conversation in this direction or not. I think, yes. I think one of the coolest things we've seen is that we've put up, let me get these, let me get this one, two, three, Four cell cams? Do I have four cell cams up out there right now? I do. I have I have one. You have one, and I've got three stealth cams and a spy point. So we've got five tra- we got five cell cameras out there giving us live data. How many people have you had on camera? Uh on my cell camera zero. And those cell cameras are in those five to six spots that or four to five spots that are just amazing. And I think when you look at this, it's one of those things where it's where, you know, basically Brett's imploring you guys get out there and go scout. But also there's areas out there and this is not a unpressured piece of public. This is this is one of those pieces of public that has people using it. They're there every year hunting it. Um, there's stand sites that p- people basically have picked out and that's what they're going to use every year. But on top of all of that, the access is stupid easy here. By and large, this WMA is very easy to access. You know, there's there's access paths everywhere. In fact, Brett told me today, he's like, why would I bring my e-bike? There's no need for an e-bike. And so you're, you're inviting access right there with that, with that statement. And so, you know, those cameras have been out since August, and we haven't gotten a single person on camera. A lot of daylight active deer. In fact, almost all of our pictures are daylight active deer, even through this point right now, uh, or like right there on that cusp of daylight. Um, I don't know, man. Those spots are out there. Yeah, and I mean – I have had one person on camera, but that was expected because put a camera on a food plot, but I hung it high for a reason, so I had a side out of mind, basically. That's right. That's right. <laughs> which, which turned out to be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's 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 chase that rabbit hole because this is funny. I'm sure this guy's like listening to the podcast and he's about to hear a story right. that's going to crack him up. Go ahead, and tell everybody what happened. <laughs> I, I go in there to check this camera just just to see because. I seen a big deer in the area, and I was like, well, if I can get a picture of him, it's going to be here. I know this is not where I'm going to kill him at, but I just want to get a picture. 
see if he was what I thought he was. And so I hung a camera really high in a tree that was like lean like this. And when I was on it, I, I fought and fought to get this camera up there, but I did it like that on purpose so it wouldn't get stolen. And when I went back in there, there was a cell <laughs> cam hung about chest high in there with a lock on it, which is fine. I'm not going to mess with nobody's camera because I don't want nobody to mess with mine. But it was on the exact same tree I had my camera in, <laughs> and he didn't even know it. I climbed up on the backside above his camera Pulled my SD card and checked it. This guy coming there in a bicycle, obviously, looked like after work and hung it, getting ready for deer season. And he's out there acting like a deer, like crotched down, like a deer's level, like <laughs> squatted down, like walking across the edge of the field to see if it would like catch him because the camera that's going to send him a picture. And like making sure his camera's all set up. And I get all of this, like, because I got like multi burst pictures. So I'm getting like, I got all of this on the SD card and it was pretty funny. And he never noticed my camera. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I hang them high, out of sight, out of mind. People don't tend to mess with them and people aren't looking up. And if you hang them in smaller trees, especially something smaller and you can get a climber in, mm-hmm. um, you normally don't have people messing with them at all. So just keep that in mind. Because I see a lot of cameras in Florida, for some reason, knee-high or lower. And I've never understood that because I've seen every single one of them. <laughs> well, you, you hung another camera right off a road uh, on a on a freaking cattle path of a deer trail. And we had, was it like three or four guys walk past that camera? I mean, like, hell, I walked underneath it looking for it. Of course, I thought you said white oak, so I wasn't looking in that tree. Um, I called Brett and I'm like, dude, there's no white oak over here. And he goes, live oak, live <laughs> oak. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. And then I immediately look up and there's the freaking camera pointing at me. And I got like 30 photos of me looking for the camera. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things you, you hang it just out of sight, out of mind. I have yet, I have yet to this day, knock on wood. I've never lost a camera on public land. I run a bunch of cameras. You know, between putting them in places that people don't really want to be in, but also uh, hanging them high and out of sight, I think that's I think that's the that's the ticket. Yep. The only yeah. you know catch is you have to carry a stick around, and that means sure. like I run a fanny pack that has like a little flap that has buckles, and I just run my stick inside that. Mm-hmm. I can run my cameras inside of it, and I run a line a lineman's rope in there. So I can just I just put it around my waist. That way I have hands free to set everything up. And most people aren't gonna necessarily do that because it's you know, that's more stuff you have to take in, it's already hot or whatever. So I just find it's I've hung them before chest high, waist high, in places I probably shouldn't have back in the day, you know, when I was, you know, still learning, which is fine, and I've had some tampered with. And I've had one stole before, just I think just one, but I've had a lot of missing SD cards or my camera flipped upside down with the SD card taken out. Like, okay, you didn't have to flip it upside down. I already know you messed with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that was before cell cams, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I seen a camera when Brandon and I were out scouting on, when was that, Saturday? And it was like right on a path, right 
like waist high <laughs> walking up to it. And I'm like, no lock, no nothing on it. I'm like, well, I guess you just trust everybody <laughs> in the world yeah. uh, for this camera right here. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Hang them high if yep. you can, because most yep. people aren't looking up. So mm-hmm. unless they're the only, I mean, I look up quite a bit because I'm always looking for trees to get in, in certain areas. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking up just going, most of the time it's like, there really isn't a tree to get up in, in this area <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. How can, how can I make this work? Um, but yeah, that's really the only time I'm like looking up as if I'm in an area looking for a tree that uh, I could possibly hunt in, in that spot later. Right. So, yeah. And so, I'm not stealing anybody's camera. Go ahead, buddy. What were you going to say? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm like, well, I'm not stealing anybody's camera anyway. Oh, so yeah. No. I don't no. want anybody's. I don't want anybody's stuff. <laughs> no. In fact, if I find cameras where I'm going, typically speaking, I'm no longer interested in that area. That's pretty uh, much. Yeah. yeah. I just wave at them. Yeah. <laughs> I just wave at them and go by. Mm-hmm. Do, do the antler oh. thing where you do yeah, yeah. I just, I just wave at him and, <laughs> all right maybe i need to push a couple hundred yards further <laughs> all, all right brett so here's the deal it is uh october 25th when we record this we have inspired the pats of the world to get out there and do some scouting okay um speaking of which i, I have been informed we're going to have to start paying him a royalty for using his name so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has an incentive for us to use the word Pat as often as possible. Um, so we've incentivized the Pats of the world to get out and go scouting and utilize some of their very rare time to go out and not hunt, but maybe to scout. What is your advice to them right now? The season, it, we're in the throes of the season. It's the middle of the year. Should they be scouting? Should they be hunting? What do you think, you know? What, what what is your advice to that new hunter that that's finds themselves listening to this podcast midway of the season? I mean, if you don't have the traditional possibly money spot, I would say I would be scouting and I'd be looking for busting deer out of somewhere and uh, probably putting interest there. Like when I got down Sunday from hunting, I went and walked this area a little better because I hadn't walked all of it. And I ended up finding where to deal where I blew a bunch of deer out, but I found a ton of feed trees. So I went ahead while I was in there and then messed it up, walked the whole perimeter, uh, looked for trees, looked for access routes. And uh, so now I could probably go in there next weekend and get on deer. I mean, not probably I could get on deer because there's so much feed. So, I mean, the trees are down to the dirt and there's several of them, but uh, things like that. So you wouldn't have known that if you were just hunting these, you know, spots and you may or may not see deer. If you don't feel confident in your setup or that you're going to see a deer, don't settle. Just keep walking. If it's a spot you know, or a heavy pressured public land and it's this pretty spot, I'd probably keep walking. Think about where other hunters aren't going. Uh, Think about when you do find those places, how you think the deer may be using them. Think about creative access. Like 
my number one thing I think that helps me even when I find these great spots is figuring out access, creative ways to get in somewhere. And that's another thing with my postseason. Whenever I find an area I want, I will make an access route that day. I will map it out on my phone so I can follow it. I will do all those things at that time, but you could do it in season. So I would suggest you get out there and you find a spot you're blowing deer out and then that's probably where you want to hunt because they're either in their bedding or they're bedding by where they're feeding at right now. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I can get behind that. I think the whole idea of if you're not confident, start scouting is a great idea. But to the guy that heard that and says, okay, that makes a lot of sense, Brett, but what should, what, what are you, what should people be confident in? Like not all signs actionable. What, what do people need to be looking for? Man, it's hard to say. I'm in person looker, but, uh, it all depends on where you are. Cause the state of Florida is crazy. As I come to find out, like <laughs> your rut could be over right now. Your rut could be starting or you could be in the middle of the rut. It could still be early season for you. Like for the early season guy, I'd be looking for a hot feed sign. Uh, early on, I would be looking for community scrapes, scrapes that look like they've already been digging on this time of year. Yes, you can find them. And mm-hmm. I would do that. An actionable sign would be a tree that's, there's more dirt than leaves under. And you're going to find crack shells and more likely deer poop and all that. But also think about the location is that is it thick around there? Where is the thickest area that deer are probably coming from? And you can maybe even get between them. If it's right by a road that people drive up and down, it's probably nighttime sign. You just you know, just kind of have to, the more time you're in the woods, the better you get at recognizing that. And that's another reason why scouting anytime and as much as you can just makes you a better woodsman and, and noticing those things. Maybe for the rut hunter, if you've been postseason scouting, if you went in there and found all these traditional trails and rubs, now is the time to apply. Um, if you searched out your doe groups and understand where they're living at, those are the times to apply. And I still go back to action. Well, a sign would be where you're blowing deer out probably right now is a good sign. You blow them out one time, I think you're okay. Go ahead and figure it out while you're in there and don't come back till you're hunting it. So just have all that ready whenever you do go in there. If you stumble on blow deer out of a thicket that's got feed sign or just a bedding thicket in general, 
I would say betting. Figure out the betting. Yeah. Figure out and where the betting at it. because that's that's good for any time of the season. So beginning of the season, rut, postseason. If if you can you can utilize betting for your advantage for any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can I can dig that. That makes sense to me. That's what I like to do post If you're a new hunter. If you're a new hunter and you don't care about killing like Brett size bucks, then I would say focus on Brett size bucks. <laughs> figure out where all the does are, figure out where a majority of the does are betting. Yeah. <laughs> and the bucks will be there at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And figure out how to, how to uh, hunt as close by as you can without alerting the deer. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because his his philosophy is not that complicated and yet it's a little bit difficult to implement. And I think I think when I look at all those places, Chase, I told you about this just the other day. Every time I look at um where Brett has us focused, there's always like this one barrier. Like you 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 run out of road and there's fifty yards of briar thicket and it just looks impenetrable. And then Brett's sitting there weaving his way through it. He gets to the other side and it's an open oasis and there's Boone and Crockett bucks just laying in the sun. And, you know, you go into a swamp bottom and it's thicker than can be and we're crawling through stuff and we're underneath blowdowns and, you know, just crawling through this, this muck. And then we get to the other side and it's open and there's bedding and there's food sources. And it's, it, it, I, I feel like there are these overlooked areas, right? And I use that with like a really exaggerated uh, quotation marks because, I don't feel like the areas we're finding are so hard to find. I just think people put in the effort and then they get there and they stop a hundred yards shy of where they should stop. <laughs> like oh, that's yeah. it. That's it. For sure. I mean, I, I'm looking for something. I don't think nobody else is going to go in. I'm looking for stuff. When I look at my hat, can I get through here? How the heck is a deer getting here? And you'll be surprised if you, you if you got a wheel, there's a way. And mm -hmm. if you can get in those spots, sometimes you'll find the most amazing things. Things sometimes open up, and it's like Walt said, an oasis. It's like, oh my god, mm -hmm. I've been missing this the whole time. That was mm -hmm. back here. I'd have been busting through this stuff a long time ago if I. That's right. That's you just right. Got, sometimes you just got to push yourself. You go twenty yards, never like, just twenty more, and then twenty more, and just. I mean, literally, there's places I crawled on the ground through vines for, I think it was about 60 or 70 yards through stuff, like hands and knees on my belly, and got up into some places that were just isolated. And when you got in there, the deer sign was just mm -hmm. popping out at you. You could tell those are the places the deer are actually spending the time, the does and, and the bucks, and it's a lot of times it's got water associated with it or, or something else that predators aren't going to get to them without them knowing or escape route. They can use that as well as escape route. And that's a lot of what I'm looking for. Something, a thick bear to keep people out and then a back wall for security and escape route mm -hmm. for a special mature deer. And in general, any deer, yeah. 
Okay, closing thoughts to this idea. Anything you guys want to add? Hmm. Chase? Well, I mean, you got you got to want it and you got to love it. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to want it and you got to love it. Um, if only we had somebody in the group that had a saying about that. Mm. What we're talking about here is, <laughs> it, it, like Brett says, it's really, it's 365. It's not just I hunt kind of during... If, depending on what your goals are, if you just want to go out and have a good time and possibly see a deer here and there and do your thing, then that's fine. Um, but if you want to get on more bucks, uh, you want to have more kill opportunities, you, you got to be um, willing to do all this stuff because anybody can go out there and look on a deer from time to time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it happens all of the time. And you're like, oh, yeah, I killed this buck back in 2013. It was a uh, whatever Florida registry. But have you done it since then? Have you even had an opportunity since then? Mm -hmm. And that was luck. I mean, that that instance right there was luck. Or maybe you were scouting a bunch back then and you just didn't put two and two together that, oh, I scouted a whole ton that year. And that's the reason why I got on that registry mm -hmm. buck. Maybe mm -hmm. I should go back to <laughs> the way I was uh, scouting before. So to me, you, you got to put the time in if you want to if you want to see the success and summer scouting, in-season scouting, post-season scouting uh, is it, it all comes together. You all you start figuring all these things out and what trails they're using, why they're using these trails, what time of year I need to be in there. Mm -hmm. uh, you're using your trail camera data. I mean, you, you, you use your trail cams year round, <laughs> same way, kind of like Brett does. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, different things that you can use um, to help you be successful. And I would say scouting is going to be number one. You can be in the best spot on WMA and be there at the wrong time and not see a single deer or not see a single mature buck. There are places, I know for a fact, there are places that you will not find deer most of the year, but in a certain time of the year, you'll kill some of the biggest deer in the whole area. So it's all of understanding, knowing the area and knowing when to hunt, what area at what time which all comes from hard work, time put in. You think an athlete just gets a contract or something from not doing a lot of work, not working at it, not doing just hard work. They don't. They may be talented, but they still had to work hard to, to be the best or be that uh, star athlete. And it's no different with deer hunting. So when you find yourself out there, and you get to this thick stuff, and you know, I'd want to go in there, but I didn't walk two or three miles. I'm tired. I just don't want to do it. You need to stop and ask yourself, how bad do you want it? <laughs> do you want it? Do you really want it that bad? Because if so, you'll muster it up to get in there. I think I'll I think I... that. Go ahead, buddy. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say I'll leave you with that. Yeah, I, I think I think I can't I can't 
emphasize enough, like that final fifty to hundred yards. You know, and this isn't this isn't a concept that's unique to deer hunting, right? In success, a lot of this has to do with a, it's a game of inches, and it's pushing yourself right up to that point of su- almost finding success, and then you know having the wherewithal to push just a little bit further, right? The fourth quarter, you know, of of, of deer hunting is 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 kind of what we're talking about here. Um, I, there have been times that I've been like, okay, it's time to turn back. Not because I wanted to, but just because I'm not used to having somebody who will go through the crazy stuff that I'll go through. <laughs> and so like, I'm like, okay, well, it's the end of this scouting trip. It's time to turn back around. And then I turn around and you just see sticks flying and here goes Brett through the thicket. You know, he's like, <laughs> he just knows he's a dog hunting. So, you know, if, if you've scouted and you found, you feel like you're right there about to have that level of success that you need to, I, I bet you you're, you're closer than you think. You just need to push a little harder. So that's what pushed me over my age. I felt like I hunted public land. I've had hunted public land for years. And I've been like that lucky guy. Or I get on a deer once a year, a big deer, one opportunity. Or I may kill a nice deer every so often. But when I started putting in that work, that postseason scouting, that summer scouting, that trail cam data, really wanting it and trying to figure out everything I could about those deer and how they were using and what they were doing. And I literally want to know what does what is I want to be able to tell you exactly what day they're going to be in heat, which is not probably realistic, but that's what I tell myself. So I don't stop short. And that's what took me to that level where I've gotten on mature deer consistently. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard when I first started hunting that, you're going to see, you're, you're going to get one opportunity this year at a, at a big deer. You're, you might not get a shot at them or whatever. You're going to get one opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, at, at a big deer. And that, but that's coming from a lot of people that sit in the same stand, like 90% mm-hmm. of the time, the same two or three stands. And then like Brett said, they just happened to be in that stand during that two week window that the bucks were in there. Uh, and, and that was their one opportunity, uh, for the year. And so I was like, well, I was like, that can't be the case. It can't just be one opportunity a year and started scouting more, got mobile, started doing all those things. And then those opportunities became more and more abundant where it just wasn't one opportunity a a season. Exactly right. Well, folks, you've heard it from the pros themselves. The South Alabama legend, the Gainesville I need to come up with gangster. There it is. The Gainesville gangster and the South Alabama legend himself. Uh, I just want to say thanks to you guys for once again, hopping on here with me and talking to such lowly people such as myself. It's always a, it's always a pleasure to pick the brains of such intelligent and well, 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 well well-skilled hunters. But Brett, I'm going to let you be because you got a pack from Missouri. Um, Chase, I'm going to let you be because, um, Tired of looking at your face. Mm, I've never heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> <Jealous much. laughs> 
<laughs> All right, guys. Yeah. If if you enjoy this podcast, do us a favor. Tell somebody about the about the show. Share with one with a with an individual. Um, you know, just kind of word of mouth is how we grow, and we continue to grow year after year at a very alarming rate for me. And so, I just want to say thanks once again to all you guys. It has to be because you guys are spreading the the word of of chasing tales and 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 sharing with people, and I appreciate it to no end. So until next time, y'all be good and enjoy the great outdoors. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.